Burden of Matthew, a.k.a. the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It's not fair to take the children, is it? Excuse me. It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's tables. Then Jesus answered her, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. I'm not sure how to follow two beautiful babies and that song from our choir. So just indulge me for a bit. I have three things I want to share with you this morning. One, a new word. Two, this story we heard of Jesus cussing at a woman, calling her a dog. And three, the discomfort of who we center and who we silence in resistance. Tell me, did you look at your order of service wondering, does our new intern know how to spell? And the word is brutiful. Have you heard this? It's a mouthful. Let's say it together. Brutiful. I didn't make it up. (laughs) Glennon Doyle says, life is brutal, but it's also beautiful. Brutiful, she calls it. Life's brutal and beautiful are woven together so tightly that they can't be separated. In your life, have you experienced a brutal moment? Maybe more than one. There are brutal threads in all of our stories. Do you know the story of Jesus and the Canaanite woman? It's confusing and uncomfortable. It's about power and privilege ordinary holy encounters, the transformation of bringing our full vulnerable self into encounter with another. We sing them back to one another to sustain us through celebration and struggle. This worship, our ritual of welcoming babies, this religious community expresses sacred relationship. You invited me into relationship and now you're stuck in a pew listening to a crazy Bible story about Jesus cussing. (laughs) Because relationships are not easy. But will you take a leap with me, accompany me to wrestle with this story and unpack some of the brutal tensions of resistance and hope? Could we call the Bible brutal? I love the Bible, but it hasn't always been that way. And I wonder if maybe some of you can identify with that. 
The Bible doesn't agree with itself. So how could we agree with it, right? And maybe some of us have witnessed someone using the Bible to hurt other people. And so it might seem easier to just toss the whole thing out. And stories in the Bible are sacred stories. They're one pane of one window of the greater human story because all religious traditions have sacred stories. And your stories, the stories that you carry in your heart, those are sacred stories too. So what does Jesus cussing offer up as we talk in our worship theme this month of resistance and hope, of power and privilege, of comfort and discomfort? Here in this story, we have a woman from a marginalized ethnic group whose child is ill. Tormented by a demon, as she said, could have meant suffering from psychosis or epilepsy. We don't know, but a child's mother was desperate. Her pleas gave the disciples a headache. These disciples of Jesus were revolutionaries. They were justice advocates fighting against oppression. And maybe they were having a bad day, or they just got caught off guard. But this woman and her sick child didn't fit the criteria. The disciples felt uncomfortable. They saw her talking to Jesus, and they asserted their feelings. Make her stop shouting at us. She's so angry. She's hysterical. We could listen and help if she would just calm down and be rational. Does that sound familiar? Calm down. Stop being so angry. Express your opinions, sure, but in a way that makes me feel safe. Even revolutionaries miss the mark, silencing voices of our most vulnerable. Where are you and I in this story? Who would we be? Can you locate yourself in the scene? The characters are the Canaanite woman and her daughter, Jesus and the disciples, if you could choose only one, which character would you play? Are you Jesus, healer and freedom fighter for the oppressed, who needs two quiet minutes to stop and lean against the well? Do you have to keep your focus on the big picture, even if it means ignoring someone's needs? Have we ever felt this way? Are you the daughter, sick too long to remember feeling well? wanting your mom close to feed you soup and rub your back, but she keeps running off? Are you a disciple, feeling unsafe and uncomfortable, fed up with loud, angry people? Are you the Canaanite woman, frightened, exhausted, pounding doors to advocate for your child, trying to access, trying and failing to access medical care that they need and desperate for a miracle? Thinking about your life, can you recall a time when you felt like one of them? I wonder, might we at some point identify with all of them? Because life, after all, as Doyle says, is brutal. But where does this relate to resistance and practicing hope? We resist many things. We resist isolation, choosing to come here and be present in community. People we know might feel hopeless, but we resist it. 
In these times, we practice hope, dedicating babies to our faith tradition, where we may define truth differently, but we seek it together in relationship. So have you seen this hashtag resist on social media? Okay. Or maybe on church sandwich boards? How does this word speak to you? Are we all exerting an opposing force or taking a stand against the same things? Are the risks of our resistance equitable? Or does it depend on how comfortable we are? See, resistance might mean staying alive day after day inside a system relentlessly trying to destroy you. Thriving in a nation wherein half the population thinks the Jim Crow era was great is resistance. Raising joyful, hopeful children in these times is resistance. And your resistance might happen in unscripted, brutal ways. Resistance is uncomfortable. We're familiar with discomfort. And depending on our social location, we might be hearing, especially in Unitarian Universalist spaces, an invitation to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Have any of you heard this? But how do we distinguish comfort that expands and transforms us from comfort that diminishes and contracts us? How many of you, upon entering a room, have already identified all the exits? Anybody? <laughs> I'll say, those are my people. <laughs> but that's not expansive and transformational discomfort, is it? Those are survival skills. The fire alarm goes off and I'm following you. <laughs> but resistance and the practice of hope calls us to embrace a different sort of discomfort. Expansive, transformational, brutal discomfort. Instead of planning escape routes, transformational and expansive discomfort takes the focus off of me and my survival techniques. Transformational discomfort moves my experiences out of the center, and it invites me to look through a new lens. And just like those first few hours of a new optical prescription, my eyes might feel sore, because brutal discomfort takes getting used to. And resistance doesn't happen on a schedule. We get invited to resist or exert that opposing force or take a stand when it's least convenient. Perhaps you go down to draw water from the well and you find a holy person standing before you. Have we had some of these unexpected, pivotal moments in our own lives? The Canaanite woman didn't know she would come face to face with Jesus that day. She had looked everywhere for help, doors closed in her face, and yet she still knew that she and her daughter were worthy. It might say the disciples didn't like her uppity assertiveness, and Jesus completely ignored her. So she got down on her knees and she begged for someone, this particular someone, to take notice of her child's suffering. And this is where the story turns outrageous. Jesus didn't think he had a relationship with her. 
I'm here for my own people, he said. I can't take their food and give it to a dog. A dog? This is where I have to stand back and think, wow, Jesus, you kiss your mama with that mouth? <laughs> like, we were, what is going on with him? Can you imagine being the woman Jesus cussed at? What if the story ended here? If the Canaanite woman had simply gone home? Who would have believed her if she told them Jesus called her an offensive name? Can you imagine the response? Wait, what? Jesus? That guy who's always helping people? No, you must have misheard him. He didn't mean it that way. Look at all the good work he does in the community. Healing people, breaking up temple racketeering. You're imagining things. I don't believe you. But that wasn't the ending. This was a wise woman. Her wisdom was hard won. And she was fast on her feet, faster than me. <laughs> she probably had heard worse than a holy man cussing. And she turned his crass and cold words right back around. Her words held up a mirror to Jesus. Even the dogs get crumbs, she said. She roused him. She resisted his apathy. She helped him remember they were in relationship. In this story, power and privilege are leveraged in surprising, brutal ways. The disciples use theirs to silence the Canaanite woman, to convince Jesus to ignore her needs. They felt uncomfortable. Jesus' disciples were resistors, but they were accustomed to having a choice. The Canaanite woman may be less familiar with privilege and comfort and scheduled resistance. But she leaned into her fear, and she stood her sacred ground. I wonder where can we find our motivation when it's time for us to oppose or resist or lean in to that discomfort. She was motivated because her daughter was dying. But around us, too, people are dying. And we need more than crumbs from the table to save them. Can we cast our hope on the transformative power of relationship? Do you remember being a young child? Or have you ever watched a young child catch a whiff of injustice? It brings them up short, because things are supposed to be fair. If a young child hears someone being mean, they might throw themselves into the situation, right? Do they stop to tie back their hair, or take off their earrings, or rub the Vaseline on their face? We don't do that. <laughs> well, little kids don't either, because they accept that their hair might get pulled, their cheek might get scratched, and they might even get an earring pulled out, but it's worth it because they want to help someone else keep from getting hurt. So, I, I'm not advocating physical violence. But I want us to realize that our own safety and comfort in this world often come at the expense of someone else's. Some of us who are white, 
Some of us who are light-skinned enough to pass as white too often get to ignore the brutality of the systems of the world where we live. We get to move through the world more protected, choosing when and where and even why to resist. I wonder, could we all become like the little children? Jesus advised that on a better day, I remember. Could the truth of injustice cause us more pain than anticipated discomfort of interrupting it? What if we leaned harder into that discomfort and said, no more, I'm not free until everyone is free. I'm not safe until everyone is safe. When you terrorize any of my siblings, you're wounding me. Their salvation is bound to mine, and we belong to each other. But we're also bound to whoever we might define as the oppressor, right? Because there can be times maybe when we might all play that role. We're called to love them too, whoever them is. And they might not like it, it might not feel good, because loving and saving the oppressor means interrupting indifference, disrupting the narrative of otherness, and refusing to quietly support hatred. We know love and kindness are not the same as nice and polite. So we show up and we're open to the transformation of relationship, even in these difficult, unexpected invitations, like we heard today in our story. We resist indifference and apathy with the fullness of everything we are in the world. As liberal religious people, we are prepared for discomfort. We value pluralism and the democratic process. We bring different experiences, ethnicities, beliefs, all of these things to bear on the covenants we make to each other and the ways that we embody our religious principles. We look for who's missing from the table and we listen for the voices that are being silenced. So let us look for the quiet invitations in our lives where we are invited to stand up or kneel down for what is just. Transformation happens in those small, brutal moments of resistance, not in grand gestures of opposing force, but in holy, everyday encounters where we stand our ground and where we call one another back into relationship. May we embody the strength of the Canaanite woman and the reckless courage of young children. And together, may we lean in to the brutal discomfort. Amen.